Any birthday singers? Come on, people, we need birthday singers! Happy birthday! That is my birthday. Yes, it is my birthday. There's someone in my house eating my birthday cake, and it's not me. Today is my 100th birthday. Happy birthday. No such thing. It's my birthday, too. Happy birthday to you! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Happy Movie Birthdays. My name is Nathan Ulig, and today is our first episode. So, yeah, thanks for listening in. I hope there's a lot of you. Probably not, but that's okay. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, Happy Movie Birthdays is, of course, a little podcast I decided to start up celebrating uh, movies on the anniversaries of their release. Uh, if you haven't listened to the episode before this, my introductory episode kind of explains uh, who I am, why I'm here, exactly what the podcast is, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I recommend probably listening to that one first. But uh, anyway, let's just get right into it. Today, I would like to wish a very happy birthday to what many people, including myself, Consider a true comedy classic, Ghostbusters, turns 35 years old today. Now stay close. Stay close. I know. Do exactly as I say. Get ready. Ready? Get her! <laughs> Released in the U.S. on June 8th, 1984, Ghostbusters is directed by Ivan Reitman, stars Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, and William Atherton. Ghostbusters revolves around three down-on-their-luck paranormal scientists in New York City who investigate ghost sightings and decide to start up their own Ghost hunting and eliminating business. For whatever reasons, Ray, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. For what purpose? To go into business for ourselves. They start off a bit slow at first, but quickly rise to fame and fortune eventually having to use their ghost-busting skills to save New York and possibly the world. Now, Ghostbusters truly took the world by storm with a $30 million budget and went on to gross $295 million worldwide, which is a lot of money in 1984. <laughs> the only movie to barely beat it out that year was Beverly Hills Cop, um, but that movie opened like in... December, and so most of its money was made in 1985, so you can, I don't know, debate that all you want, but uh, just telling it like it is. Now, Ghostbusters was nominated for two Oscars, three Golden Globes, AFI ranked it as the 28th best comedy film of all time, it's recently been added to the Library of Congress National Film Registry, it's had a theatrical sequel, remake, multiple animated TV show spinoffs, toys, video games, and of course, a theme song that gets stuck in your head and just refuses to get out. 
Now, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis co-wrote the screenplay based on a concept by Dan Aykroyd, who is just super into, like, paranormal stuff. The very original idea was actually set in the future with space travel, where ghosts and ghost-busting is a very common thing, and Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, who, of course, were starred in Blues Brothers together, uh, would be the stars. And it's always fascinating to me to see how certain movies started out as almost something just completely different, and the filmmaking process can mold it into what you eventually get on the big screen. Even when they eventually settled on a modern-day setting and an origin story, there were still uh, some bigger changes, like Eddie Murphy was originally going to play the Winston character, who would have had a, a much larger role, and Rick Moranis's character, Louis Tully, was originally going to be played by John Candy, and as a German. So, yeah, some interesting choices. It's uh, fun to think about, you know, what might have been. Very handy, I can tell. I bet you like to read a lot, too. Print is dead. Oh, that's very fascinating to me. I, I read a lot myself. Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. I also play racquetball. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Ivan Reitman, of course, the director, had made a name for himself in comedy with producing Animal House and directing Meatballs and Stripes. I just watched Meatballs for the first time just a few years ago, and that's great. And Stripes is another just really a comedy classic. If you haven't seen Stripes, definitely got to check that one out. Now, he had some prior experience right before making Ghostbusters doing Broadway production. I believe it was called Merlin. I'm not 100% on that. But that production used a lot of practical, on-stage, you know, magic type effects, which he was able to utilize in filming Ghostbusters, particularly the scene with Sigourney Weaver when she's possessed and she's hovering above her bed. All of that was done practically with no like kind of special visual effects going on. He's such a good director with, you know, a mostly great filmography. Now, he, of course, frequently worked with the real star of Ghostbusters, Bill Murray, in one of, if not his most famous role. Come in, Ray. Hickman! I saw it! I saw it! I saw it! It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move! It won't hurt you! Ah! <laughs> Now, apparently, Bill Murray didn't really want to do it. He was, <laughs> and so he kind of coaxed the studio, Columbia Pictures, uh, to agree to greenlight a little film. I'm sure nobody's heard of it. I sure hadn't heard of it. Uh, it's called The Razor's Edge. Uh, that was a passion project of his. So he'd do Ghostbusters, and they'd finance Razor's Edge, which I'm sure they were totally fine with after seeing how much money they ended up raking in as a result with Ghostbusters. An interesting little side thing, a lot of people have looked at the story of Ghostbusters as kind of a very pro-Reagan 80s 
kind of film. You know, the economy was booming. The movie's about, you know, starting up your own business. The main antagonist is the EPA. It's, you know, now, I'm sure that's not what the original filmmakers intended, but it's an interesting look, you know, into the times and how people can interpret, you know, stories in, uh, in different ways. Now, we should probably get a bit more in-depth with uh, the story and the characters of Ghostbusters. Uh, it opens up the really great scene in the library, which doesn't have any comedy at all. It's just kind of a setup for, you know, what kind of movie you're in store for. And it's actually kind of scary and suspenseful. And then once that happens, you immediately are introduced to Peter Venkman, played by Bill Murray, who's a college professor, and it immediately goes into the comedy, him kind of screwing with the one of the college students and trying to hit on another we're also introduced to ray stands played by dan Aykroyd. their colleagues they're into the paranormal they hunt ghosts and stuff like that and they hear about this library incident go off to the library meet egon spangler played by harold ramus rest in peace uh now you've got your main trio of actors uh for the movie they hunt this library ghost lady it scares the crap out of them and uh but with the new information and stuff they get they decide it is possible really have the possibility of capturing ghosts and learning more about them which is pretty convenient because right at that moment they get kicked out of their university job so they're kind of forced to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and start their business now at the same time this is going on we're introduced to the main love interest, Dana Barrett, played by Sigourney Weaver, and her lovable, funny neighbor, Louis Tully. And this is kind of the real connected story that goes throughout the film. Turns out Dana, her apartment is possessed, and she seeks out the Ghostbusters to find out what's going on. And uh, now the Ghostbusters have their real first job. Now the Ghostbusters haven't really, you know, come into their own yet. They're just starting out. And then they get their first real job of catching a real ghost. Okay, on my ghost, single. Spengler, I want a confinement stream from you, okay? Go! Okay, hold him up there. He's gonna move. Hold him up. Go! Working, Ray. Start bringing him down. Start bringing him down. You've got him. Go across the street. Maybe right. now you'll never slime a guy with a positron glider, huh? Spengler, shorten your stream. I don't want my face burned off. All right, I'm opening that trap now. Don't look directly into the trap. I looked at the trap, Ray. Bring your streams off as soon as I close the trap. Get ready. I'm closing it. Now! And they immediately start getting famous and well-known throughout the city. There's a great montage of them, you know, looking for different ghosts and how people are hearing about them and them getting famous and you've got the you know the classic song kicking in it's uh, the soundtrack for this movie is really really great not just of course the famous song by the Ray Parker Jr but there's some just fantastic 80s songs played throughout the entire thing so they're getting famous they're getting busy they're kind of starting to hate their job and right about this time they hire a new recruit uh, Winston Zedmore played by Ernie Hudson, who comes into the movie and doesn't really do a lot. The character itself is really kind of useless when you think about it. If you completely took Winston out of the story, nothing would really change at all. I mean, he kind of works as kind of an everyman 
kind of the conduit for the audience where when they're explaining things, they're basically explaining it to Winston, therefore explaining it to us, the audience, which is helpful. But if you're going to do that, you kind of need that to happen earlier in the movie. And even so, you have Peter Venkman's character who, while he's a paranormal scientist and knows more, they're still kind of constantly explaining things to him, in which case they're explaining it to us. It's, it's a little weird. But anyway, as this is going on, the EPA comes knocking with William Atherton, who's really kind of the main antagonist for the movie, and he's investigating them and doesn't like them and wants them to shut down and blah, blah, blah. And while all this is happening, you know, ghost problems around the city are getting worse. But of course, they still care about Dana Baird, especially Peter. He's got a thing for her and uh, giving her more information about her case and you know the ghosts living in her apartment, basically, which end up possessing her and uh, Louis Tully eventually. And this happens right about the time the EPA is basically busting down their doors to comply with their rules and regulations and as a result end up shutting down their facility and releasing all of the ghosts they've captured into the city, you know, creating this big havoc. At the same time, this really big ghost who's living in the apartment building is, and has possessed Dana and Lewis is coming to take over the world. It's really inconvenient timing for uh, everyone involved, especially the citizens of New York. But we get the great scene with the mayor of New York who basically hires the Ghostbusters to save the day, which of course they go and do. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. We are introduced to the big bad who is Gozer, who is this other dimensional Sumerian god who's come to, you know, he comes every couple thousand years or whatever to to take over the earth. Now, another thing that's interesting about this movie, kind of like with the opening scene, which is actually taken very seriously and in a scary way, so is this main villain of the movie. So much of the movie is funny and sarcastic and wacky that it's good to have a grounded, serious villain that really shows the stakes of what the Ghostbusters have to go through and what they have to fight. I really like they do a similar thing with Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a really fun, wacky, awesome movie, but the villain in that is very serious and very kind of down-to-earth, even though it's based in space, but you know what I mean. It's good to have this kind of a contrast when you're doing a comedy, but there still needs to be serious stakes involved. But, long story short, Gozer basically turns into a giant, stay-puffed marshmallow man. The Ghostbusters need to think on their feet and figure out how they're going to save the world, and they realize they... Oh, I didn't explain this part. They need to cross the streams of their Ghostbusting equipment to completely blow up uh, everything. It was explained earlier on that this is a very bad thing to do, and you know it comes around for full circle that this is what they need to do to save the day. The movie does a lot better job of explaining its story than I do, trust me. Hopefully you've seen Ghostbusters before you're listening to this podcast, so this is all redundant to you. I have a radical idea. The door swings both ways. We could reverse the particle flow through the gate. How? 
We'll cross the streams. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was bad. Cross the streams. You're going to endanger us. You're going to endanger our client, the nice lady who paid us in advance before she became a dog. Not necessarily. There's definitely a very slim chance we'll survive. I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. But anyway, they cross the streams, they blow everything up, they save the day, roll credits, and I actually really like the credits in Ghostbusters, you know, it's kind of one of those things you never see in movies is once the heroes save the day, then the movie basically ends, you never see what happens to them immediately after that when they're cleaning up and heading home. But Ghostbusters actually shows that, not as part of the movie, but actually uses it as a chance to show the credits and, you know, have all their main actors featured. And, you know, it's, it's a really fun, cool way that you don't really see in a lot of movies. And, and, I, and I like that a lot. Now, with everything I just explained to you, it's interesting because the story of Ghostbusters is not really a traditional kind of film narrative. It's, it's very, very different from a lot of movies at the time. And not just the way the story is told, but melding a comedy film with a very large, special effects-heavy, kind of sci-fi, semi-horror movie setting. It's Really, all of these kind of parts shouldn't work, but somehow they just meld together perfectly. It's, it's, it's almost like catching lightning in a bottle. There really hasn't been a whole lot of movies that have taken this kind of a structure and idea and melding of genres and done it in a way that's so good. Now, I have a very deep personal history and love for Ghostbusters. I have been watching Ghostbusters literally for as long as I can remember, probably since before I was five years old, which is... Definitely too young to the that you should be watching Ghostbusters. I don't know what my parents were thinking, but uh, no, I've been watching Ghostbusters ever since I was a kid, and definitely the cartoon show, the real Ghostbusters as well. I was obsessed with that. But I remember we had a VHS copy of Ghostbusters that was a copy of a family friends of ours copy that they had recorded off of TV, so it had all these really dated the, you know, 80s commercials in it as well, which I always kind of thought was fun. But because it was recorded off of TV, there was some stuff in there that wasn't in the theatrical release, mainly the, uh, what's the more, most appropriate way to say this, the um, paranormal fellatio that Dan Aykroyd gets during the ma- montage was definitely not in the uh, the TV version. And there was actually mostly... When films have, like, swear words and stuff like that on TV, they're usually just edited out or dubbed over with another word. With Ghostbusters, I remember there were actually alternate takes. The one I remember specifically was when they first bust Slimer in the hotel, and they come out of the ballroom, and he says, We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. They actually changed that line to, What a knockout of pure fun that was. And I remember that always stuck with me. And a couple other little things here and there, the the dickless line that they call William Atherton's character um, is changed to something completely different. Because that's the version I watched so many times growing up. And then there was a period where I didn't see it for a long time, probably around 
like middle school age from like late elementary school through middle school there were just a, a few year period that I didn't watch Ghostbusters at all and then they re-released it for like it's 15 year anniversary or something oh my god that's a long time ago uh, I'm old uh for like it's 15 year anniversary and finally getting like a, a real copy theatrical version of, of Ghostbusters on home video and watching it and seeing all these things I had never seen before, these lines that were different and whatnot. And not only that, growing up with Ghostbusters when you're really young, I never understood it as a comedy film, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but when you're watching it that young, all of the jokes are really just going right over your head. What I loved about Ghostbusters was, when I was very young was the special effects and the kind of sci-fi tech and the the ghosts they're catching. It's, when I was that young, I always kind of considered it a sci-fi semi-action movie. And that's why I really liked it when I was really little. And it wasn't until I go through this period of not seeing it for a long time and finally seeing it when I'm a little older and a little wiser and watching it and realizing, oh, this movie is really funny. I never understood that these were all jokes before. I was finally old enough to appreciate Ghostbusters for everything that it was, not just the cool sci-fi stuff and the special effects and all that stuff. I finally understood the humor and loved and appreciated it on a completely different level than I had ever seen it before. And it's always kind of fun when movies can do that, where... You see it when you're really young, and you like it, and then as you grow up, it has a completely different meaning for you. I don't know if I'm the only one who had that experience with Ghostbusters. I would assume not, because, like I said, they spun it off into a couple of different animated television shows for kids. The most prominent one is the real Ghostbusters, which is through the late 80s, early 90s. So I was obsessed with that show, because of course I couldn't always watch Ghostbusters the movie whenever I wanted, so I had this awesome television show to supplement that. And of course I had every single Ghostbusters toy I could get my hands on and beg my parents to get me for Christmas and birthdays and all that stuff. I had the firehouse, I had a whole bunch of the action figures, I had the Ecto-1, I had the, you know, the, the full-size, well, kid-size proton pack and a couple of the other, like, Nerf-style Ghostbusters weapons kind of things. Which I all still have, you know, over the years, as you get older, you usually get rid of some of your toys. I eventually got rid of all my Batman toys, all of my Aladdin toys, all of, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. But the two I've always kept are all of my Ghostbuster toys and all of my Legos are the main ones that I, that I still have. I don't think I'll ever get rid of those. I, you know, just, just bury me with them. That'll be fine. They're not even going to go on my will. But Ghostbusters has definitely stood the test of time. People still talk about it today. It's it's had this huge following that has also resulted in a huge kind of pop culture merchandise base. You know, when I was growing up, you really only had the Ghostbusters toys based on the cartoon show, not so much the movie. But now, you have everything. You have, you know, really cool figures of the characters, very detailed models of the car. Halloween stores now have really detailed props and costumes and stuff. I remember not too long ago seeing a Transformers Ghostbusters crossover. It was basically the Ecto-1 that would transform into a robot because it was a Transformer. I mean, literally 
everything you can think of merchandise-wise, Ghostbusters has something with, at the very least, its symbol slapped across it. So I'm sure Ghostbusters is still printing a ton of money for Columbia Pictures to this very day. Like I said, it did have a theatrical sequel, which we might actually be talking about in a very near future episode, but I'm not going to spoil that for you. There was a remake a couple of years ago, and now they've announced a third Ghostbusters film. Whether or not it will be called Ghostbusters 3, we don't really know yet, but that's being directed by Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's son, who was a great director in his own right, mostly for smaller independent-type films. I also highly recommend, if you're into video games, the Ghostbusters video game that came out around 2009, 2010-ish, I think. The story, many have said, is basically the third Ghostbusters movie until the actual third Ghostbusters movie comes out. It was actually just announced that it's going to be remastered, which is awesome. Definitely going to buy that. But also pick up the PlayStation 2 or Wii version as well, because that has a more cartoony art style, basically the same story, um, but that's actually a lot of fun too. But yeah, so Ghostbusters, 35 years old today, and still holds up and still trucking along. I'm sure we'll get plenty more Ghostbusters stuff from now till the end of time, because the studio's still looking for ways to, you know, milk that piggy bank as much as they can. But hey, I don't blame them. If people are still interested, hey, you know, Go for it. So yeah, I think that's more or less it. Ghostbusters turns 35 years old today. I am feeling older by the day. Oh my god. Alrighty, well, thank you very much for tuning into this first episode, first real episode of uh, Happy Movie Birthdays. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to see some of the older Happy Movie Birthday stuff I did, I originally started this as YouTube videos on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash nateman23, uh, if you want to check those out. Plan on doing a bunch of more of these in the future, because audio seems to be a lot easier to edit than video, so yeah, subscribe to the channel, stay tuned, uh, share it with... Any other film buffs uh, you think might enjoy it, uh, leave a good review if you liked it, and uh, hey, even if you hated it, leave a review anyway. Just consider it a personal favor to myself. I would very much appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Hope you hear me again soon. And let's all wish a happy birthday to Ghostbusters. This has been Happy Movie Birthdays, and I have been your host, Nathan Ulig. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, feel free to email me at happymoviebirthdays at gmail.com.